Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Sign up to be a paid member and get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and exclusive bonus episodes we'll make just for you. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. Remember when I was little? When I used to have bad dreams. I remember. You remember what you used to say when you would hold me in the dark? Would you say it to me now? In the end, this shadow is but a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Find the light and the shadow will not find you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Don Marshall. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be recapping and reviewing Season 1, Episode 6 of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, episode title, Udun. Now, Don Marshall, what does Udun mean for those of us who don't know? So uh, folks that have watched the Fellowship of the Ring movie may recognize Udun as what Gandalf called the Balrog, the flame of Udun. And Udun refers to basically a valley somewhere in Mordor. So a little bit of a potential spoiler if you know, but for most casual. <laughs> well, well, fans. I mean, this episode takes place mostly in the Southlands, nowhere near Mordor, right? So yeah, there's no, no chance, reason, right? There's no, no reason why it would relate at all. Absolutely um, no reason. Uh, but anyway, interesting. Yeah, a little bit of a spoiler. If you if you know uh, your Lord of the Rings lore, uh, then you might know where this episode is going to end up. But in any case, uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube and TikTok at decodingtv. Don Marshall, let's talk about season one, episode six, overall thoughts. What did you think of this episode? Overall thoughts, I really liked this episode. I thought there was quite a bit of payoff. Uh, I liked that we had sort of the converging of some of the plot lines coming together. Uh, and David, you you told me a very great piece of advice uh, back in episode two for the title sequence. No thoughts, just vibes. And I took that to heart for the Harfoots, and now I've taken it for the rest of the show. And now uh, this episode was uh, no thoughts, just vibes. And the vibes are, oh, oh my God. So <laughs> loved it. Loved it. I will share a few of my thoughts. Overall, I thought it was a really well done piece of action filmmaking and to some degree horror filmmaking as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just uh, pretty, pretty well done. Um, I will say that the amount of brutality in the episode really surprised me. Like, yeah, I, I am a hardened middle aged dude. <laughs> okay, I, I I have watched many horror films. Uh, I've watched every Saw film. I've watched every Final Destination film. Obviously, some of those movies are much goofier than the tone of The Rings of Power. But, right, right. Uh, but I, I guess I've seen some stuff in my life, Don Marshall. Okay? Yeah. I've seen upsetting things in my life. And this episode showed me th some things that like still managed to upset me. You know? Uh, yeah. And... My whole reaction to the episode, honestly, can be summed up in the uh, Anchorman meme from uh, with Will Ferrell, and he's like, "I'm I'm not even mad. I'm impressed." You know, basically, <laughs> like it, it's uh, there's a lot of audacity in the episode of what they decided to show, and uh, and so I'm I'm just impressed that they went there. Like they're just wow, they're really going for it. They did. I will say I will say something I've become uh, more keenly attuned to in recent weeks, Don. 
as we've been progressing on this decoding TV experiment is I think a lot of people uh, want to watch a show like Lord of the Rings or Rings of Power with their families. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I believe all the Lord of the Rings movies were PG-13, if I'm not mistaken. They uh, were, but they also have quite a bit of violence. There's a beheading oh, in the first movie. Like there, Peter Jackson flexes his horror movie director skills totally, pretty heavily. Totally. But uh, this one is like a hard R, I would say. Like this episode, I would say, is hard R. Um, just with the amount of blood, uh, wo- wo- like stuff spouting from wounds, blades going into bodies, like it yeah. just—it felt like a hard R to me, which is like not what I expected. From I don't know, I don't know if I would would agree that it's a hard R, but it's definitely skirting that PG thirteen line because there was a lot of blood, like. And there's, there's blood. That, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. In PG-13 movies, there's usually not blood. They don't usually show blood in PG-13 movies. Mm. Um, they usually don't show blades going into bodies. Like you don't physically you see it implied, but you don't actually see it happening. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I saw a blade going into a body, not once but multiple times, I'm like, I really feel like this has kind of gone in a human body, no less. Not not oh, an yeah. orc. Not yeah. an orc. You know, they killed a lot more orcs than humans. I think in. Um, in the Lord of the Rings movies. Anyway. Yes. Really vicious, uh, I would say, and upsetting to me. Uh, but well done. But well done. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always impressed when a work of art can upset me. I will say that an episode like this is a payoff episode. It's like a payoff for everything that's come before. And I think that no matter how well done an episode like this can be, it really is going to rise and fall based on how well you feel like all the other plots have been set up prior to this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you and I have differing opinions on that and that's okay. okay. But, um, but I just want to point that out that like, yes, it's extremely well-made, but it's supposed to pay off. I think basically two to three plot lines that like are now like converging on this one yeah. uh, position, literally, physically, geographically. Yep. And uh, and if you don't feel like those plot lines were particularly well set up, then it will be less satisfying uh, than if you do. So just wanted to, to point that out that I think it, like an episode like this should be evaluated on more than just the craft, which is excellent, but on like how well it works narratively. Yeah. Yeah. So all that said. Let's get into the episode. The episode begins and mostly takes place in the Southlands. Yeah, there are uh, only a, a few scenes where they cut away. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's basically uh, a bunch of characters meet, Galad- like converge on one position, right? Uh, Elendil, Isildur, Galadriel, uh, Halbrand, they're basically uh, the Queen Regent. They all make it to the Southlands. Um, and we have Adar and. Uh, Bronwyn and Arondir at the Southlands kind of trying to like battle it out for supremacy. Got to point out, Don, a couple of the theories that have been oh. put forward by the Rings, Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings community. Dead on arrival. I think I've been definitively proven wrong in this episode, <laughs> right? Yeah. I would say the biggest one being that the Southlands stuff might be taking place at a different time period. There were no multiple meteors. Uh, it was all just one period of time because, and you know what? That's that's fine. I'm I'm not mad about it. I I think I think had multiple episode... queen regents. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think had this episode not had the emotional payoff that I felt, um, mm. uh, because I mean I didn't really hold fast to those theories. It was fun to theorize, but like if it turned out that none of it was right, I wanted what they did choose to go with, uh, to feel emotionally fulfilling, and I I definitely felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other theory, I guess, maybe that has been proven incorrect is like any theories about who Hallbrand is. Like this episode does seem to reaffirm that Hallbrand was the king of the Southlands. But and David, I would usually agree with you if mm-hmm. this was a season finale. However, mm-hmm. this was yes. episode six, not episode. All right. Eight. So you're still you're still hanging on to the I'm, I'm Hallbrand still- might be. Still holding on, still okay. holding out. Okay. I don't know if it's hope, but um, I will say this. If it turns out, as so many of my theories are, that I was wrong, uh, I would like to hop over to another theory that Halbrand may in fact be the Witch King of Angmar, which I think is also potentially plausible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think 
I'll just say this, Don. You know, um, that we'll 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 probably find out who Halbrand really is by the end of the season. I hope know? so. Um, and or or a different way to put that is who we understand Halbrand to be may not have changed by the end of the season, and that will be its own information as well. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I do think that it is worth considering that, like, if none of these uh, theories turn out to be true, like, I think that does tell us something about the type of show that we're watching. You yeah, know? and and I I think I will I will look back on this uh, first <laughs> season as being like, and you said it really well, David. It's like, oh yeah, he's the lost king, and we're three episodes in. Wow, that was. <laughs> And, like, I will have the exact same opinion. Like, yeah, that was rushed, that pacing. Like, yeah. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Uh, the pacing of the show is all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm still holding out hope. Just the teeniest, tiniest bit of hope. All right. F- fair enough. You, you do have one theory still in play, though, Don, um, which is who the stranger is, right? We didn't even visit that character this episode. No. Uh, no. I did want to read an interesting comment from Decoding TV, actually, because we're not going to talk about the stranger today really at all. Um but there's a big debate about whether or not the stranger is Gandalf or not, right? Mm-hmm. And you, your current operating theory is that it's uh, a Balrog, right? I have, I have a theory that it could potentially be a Balrog. Yes, um, I will say, I think, I think I'm starting to lean a little bit more towards Gandalf now, uh, only because we didn't see anything else besides the Southlands uh, this time. Well, Matt from Iowa over at DecodingTV.com posited maybe uh, the stranger could be Saruman. I don't know if you uh, feel that way. He's supposed to be older and more powerful than Gandalf. Uh, Baron TW over at DecodingTV.com wrote, The stranger could well be Gandalf at this point, which is totally the show Jumping the Shark. And I said, what do you mean it's Jumping the Shark? And he says, or he or she says, as a book reader, I'm not a fan when it breaks established lore and Gandalf does not arrive until well into the Third Age. Um, he isn't present when Isildur gets the One Ring, which is clear in Lord of the Rings. He isn't around when the rings are made. He doesn't recognize Bilbo, Bilbo's ring as Isildur's as he arrives a thousand years after it went missing. He's a character we know a lot about. He's getting his ring when he arrives in Middle-earth as a choice uh, by Surdan to give it to Gandalf and not to Saruman. Uh, end quote. So, I, you know... Totally fair assessment. Um, I will only say that they are taking uh, quite a few creative liberties with this uh, with this show. For better or worse, they are changing or well, not necessarily changing, but adding a lot of their own uh, sort of storylines. Galadriel's storyline, for the most part, is uh, entirely the work of Amazon. Um, so it would not surprise me if they are also changing Gandalf's lore. Um, but that's also partially why I'm thinking it's not Gandalf because it seems really obvious. And again, this might be one of those Halbrand situations where I look back and I go, "Ooh, okay." Well, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. I think I think if if it's like if those three theories are all proven wrong, right? Like then it's like okay, then the show is probably just going to take like the simpler path each time. Yeah, I'm not, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying we're conclusively on that yet because oh, no. certainly certainly the way this episode ended is like shocking, right? So uh so and, and like opens up the door for like a lot of other surprises and interesting things to happen, but it could also just be the most obvious choice, right? That that is for each of the things. Anyway, I appreciate you being open to the full of panoply course. of possibilities. That's half the fun of having these weekly shows instead of binging it. You can talk mm-hmm. about it and yes, have totally. all these fun theories. Yes, and look, totally. if it turns out that I'm wrong about everything, I'm all right. I'm not, not going to be mad. I mean, I will make fun of you for a really long time about it. Totally fair. Cool you. And okay. As you should. As you okay. should. I would okay, do good. the exact same thing and to yes, you. And if you turn out to be right, then you can make fun. It's, it's totally good. You can lord it over me forever. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. Okay. We start in the Southlands. Uh, am I pronouncing it wrong? Is it Adar or Adar? It's Adar. It's Adar. Right? It's a Adar, short sorry. A, yeah. Sorry about that. Adar. Adar. Uh, he is kind of touching the ground, I think, in ultra close up. He's giving a speech to the orcs. Uh, and there is a pretty impressive shot where he kind of, the shot kind of goes upwards from like close up. And then you see he's in front of hundreds of orcs, right? Uh, it's really impressive. Okay, well, we just had a catastrophic failure with our recording system, Zencaster. So if you're watching or listening to this, we have switched over to a completely different system, and that's why we may look or sound a little bit different. Um, sorry about that, but 
and I just want to, I would normally just try to make it seamless, but it's going to look and sound different probably. So that's why I'm pointing it out. Um, David, you look even more beautiful. I know. It, it actually does look pretty good on this, uh, on this system. <laughs> okay. So we were just talking about Adar, and uh, one of the things I was pointing out was that it's interesting that he says in this scene, uh, quote, for the first time you do so, you, like they're returning, not as unnamed slaves in faraway lands, but as brothers and sisters in our home, which is kind of inter- humanizing the orcs. It's kind of like that scene in Star Wars The Force Awakens when you realize that, hey, there's actually people under those stormtrooper helmets. Um, and yeah. uh and now it's like, wow, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm cool with uh, all these orcs getting murdered re- relentlessly uh, throughout the course of all the Lord of the Rings films. But what do you think is going on here, Don? David, I think it's safe to say that you can still be cool with watching orcs get mowed down. Uh, the origin <laughs> of orcs was uh, very much uh, changed every so often by Tolkien in earlier drafts. They were going to be like clay golems i think i think at one point they were going to be like automatons or spirits or something um but the sort of main idea that we get from the silmarillion the sort of back story of all of it is that sauron's master morgoth took a bunch of elves captured them and corrupted them and turned them into his own uh sort of race of of followers basically interesting so so they were already bad apples to begin with you know there's yeah. there's nothing redeemable about those creatures, right? There's no coming back from the way orcs are, <laughs> even in the Second Age. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. So, uh, so Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, a franchise that believes in good over evil, but not in redemption, Don Marshall? Hmm. Well, there are certainly stories of redemption, but I think there are also stories of th- beings, people, things that are too far gone. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And in this case, the orcs are just... There's there's no trying to save them. I'm sorry. So they march on the tower, and they get to the tower. These orcs and Adar march to the tower. They get to the tower. There's nothing there uh, except Arondir, who is going to F their S up, as you might say. Uh, and yes, he will indeed. The villagers have evacuated, up. and Arondir basically destroys the entire tower, and Adar makes the first of what are several death-defying moves this episode. Barely escaping with his life. Um, but yeah, uh, any thoughts on this entire opening sequence with Arandir, uh seemingly killing Adar, but not really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had no, no <laughs> thoughts that he was actually going to die like that. That would have been pretty bold, though, acting. wouldn't it? It would have been so bold if he it just died. It would have been a choice. Yeah, right, like there, yeah. It would have been the wrong choice, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's certainly... <laughs> no, I, I like this. It's a nice little action sequence, and it's very uh, realistic to me. Ismael Cruz Cordova, the way he does his archery is really smooth and effortless, and he, uh, the way he portrays an elf just seems really really well done to me and um you know the the shot with the fire and bringing down the tower like all right that's part one but you kind of get the sense that like there's still more to come so i like the way that they uh they uh crafted that scene uh nice little fun detail though if i may yeah please one of the orcs um yells out uh the word gimbatul uh and if you see in the subtitles it says find them and those that know the lettering around the one ring part of the word gimbatul is is in there it's ashknaz gimbatul which is part of the one ring to rule them all one ring to find them and it quite literally they used gimbatul to mean find them and the orcs use find them uh to search for the the villagers very very cool uh, i think this episode really gives us what a lot of us are looking for when we watch a lord of the rings show slash franchise slash series uh Elves shooting large arrows at things accurately, you know, and I think yeah, I want more of that. Yes, uh, definitely have a lot of that in this episode. There's a brief scene on the ship as the Numenorians are about to arrive to the Southlands and help save them. The whole time in the back of my mind, Don, I was still thinking to myself, maybe it's going to be at a different timeline. <laughs> but, you know, uh, anyway, there's a little conversation where Isildur talks with Galadriel and it's revealed that actually elves can see better and farther than humans, right? Oh, yeah. This is a nice little callback or an homage to the Peter Jackson uh, scene in the Two Towers. Legolas, what do your elf eyes see? And 
Legolas has way better eyesight and elves do uh, than than humans. Uh, and so, yeah, that is a, a nice little nod to Peter Jackson there. There's also a brief conversation between Elendil and Galadriel. And they talk about Elendil's wife, Isildur's mom, who drowned. Uh, don't know if that's going to become important later, but uh, it seems like it's a it's a death that haunts them still right yeah definitely seems like that's going to be a sort of recurring trauma that is pretty influential on on the family and the choices that the family makes one question don marshall is how quickly do you think it took for them to get from numenor to the southlands (laughs) because it feels like if it's like middle earth is a whole other place right it should be potentially weeks yeah so um it it will most likely be potentially weeks, and I think they made the right call in just skipping over all of that, right? <laughs> I don't want an entire episode of Galadriel on a boat. That doesn't sound interesting to me. De- you definitely, so it would far. definitely be wild to just have a plotline of characters and creatures that are just traveling the entire time. <laughs> like an entire plotline yeah. all season. That would be wild, right? It- it would be the equivalent of Gandalf and the uh, and Aomer and the rest of the Rohirrim just riding <laughs> on horses to try and rescue them at Helm's Deep. And like mm-hmm. maybe they yell over the thundering of hooves. It's like, so you're a wizard. Yes, I am. Thank you. Like nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Let's skip to the good stuff. And thankfully we do. Um, but I will say if folks are wondering how they got there so fast, uh, we do see a cool view of a map. And the map lets us know that they are traveling from Numenor, which is um, west of Middle-earth, uh, east towards a place called the Bay of Belfalas, which is a little um, river with, uh, I think it's called a delta, where all of these um, sort of tiny islands exist within the the mouth of this river uh and so they are taking the bay of belfalas up the river north and if you take that river far enough you will eventually get to uh the land that eventually becomes minas tirith in this case they are going uh less north so it's not going to take them nearly as long um i'm very glad they skipped over that stuff i know it's a pacing issue this show has it um but i think they they cut out all of the the they trimmed the fat there indeed the, we cut to the Southlands. Uh, Aaron Deer is there, and I guess the idea is that they head faked the orcs uh, into thinking they're going to be in the tower, but in fact, all the village people have just come back to the village, and they're now going to prep for their last stand there, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, there's a conversation between uh, Theo and Bronwyn, where uh, Bronwyn asks Theo, hey, you got to protect the other kids who can't fight uh, in the tavern, like wait there. Uh, and then gives that poem that we heard at the beginning of the podcast episode. Now, Love that. this uh, sounded very familiar to me, Don Marshall. It sounded very similar to the speech that Samwise gives Frodo at the end of The Two Towers, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. I think this uh, this episode really leans into the homages to Peter Jackson. And, you know, whether or not they succeeded is a matter of opinion. I quite like this. It was a nice little setup. Uh, felt very Tolkienian to me. The whole, the light and the darkness. And, uh, you know, there's some good in this world. The shadow is but a passing thing. Um, and beauty. It felt very, very much in line with the spirit of Tolkien to me. Well, I guess I got to ask you, Don. To me, like... <laughs> Here's the case against this scene, okay? Oh, no, please. It is, please, I is to me, I feel like when Sam gives that speech to Frodo, he's like extemporizing it. He, he's, he's not reading from a poem or memorizing a poem, right? That was my, that was my read of it in, yeah. in The Two Towers. Yeah. But uh, when you hear Bronwyn give this, it, it almost sounds like both her and Samwise are drawing from the same text. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, which it does. It, I, I'll, I'll, yeah. Which, which then, like, kind of, you know, whether or not that makes what Sam says later less special is is up to you. But to, to me, I'm like, well, if they were both just, you know, drawing from the same thing, then uh, what? What is that? Is there a poem that they all? common text that they no, all no i think from? it's i think it's just the way that that tolkien wrote the the themes of middle earth are so much about the the light versus the darkness and how the shadow won't last and you know good will win but at what cost uh and and i don't necessarily think they're they're trying to say like yeah this is just sam's pulling out a speech from a text or bronwyn's pulling it like yeah. it just felt kind of like a 
Uh, on the like the flip side, the flip side, like the positive reading, right, is that it's uh, that there's just kind of tales or morals or um, proverbs that kind of people pass on. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, um, and and that it, it's kind of part of yeah, like it's part of a culture basically to, to to believe in these things. So yeah, that's that's what I read yeah, into it. Yeah, Aaron Deer and Bronwyn have a tender moment. Uh, Aaron Deer pulls out the Alfrin seeds. Yes. Uh, yes. So the Alfrin seeds are the, the Alfrin is the elven word for the symbol uh, Muna flowers. We see those in the two towers. They are the white flowers that grow on the graves of the uh, kings of Rohan. Um, you, I believe you see uh, Theoden holding one in the two towers. Mm. Very cool. Uh, and Arendir and Bronwyn finally kiss. Uh, which is the Finally. first time we see it in the show. So, uh, yeah. and he kind of makes the case. He's like, "We'll be together, for, you know, and it's going to be lovely." And and uh, uh, what do you think is romance, Don? Is it working for you? I'm curious. It's working for me to an extent. Yeah. I think the two characters have great chemistry yes. together. I can I, I would agree tell with that. that yeah. um, uh, Nazanin Boniadi and Ismael Cruz Cordova are are very much like simpatico together. Uh, they work good as actors. I don't necessarily know if the story itself is going to go anywhere because we know that there are only three unions between elves and humans. Oh, and I'm just sort of watching this. Interesting. So that is a, that is a part of the lore. I see. Interesting. A part of the lore is that there are only it's it's Aragorn and Arwen and then two others, one in the end of the first stage and another in the middle of the first stage. Um, so those are the only canon ones. Right. Now, it is entirely possible that they will just ignore that. Um, or or that they isn't it possible they'll get together and it's like secret and no one knows about it. You know, like. Yes, yeah. that is another alternative that they could that they could. Another have. possibility, uh Bronwyn was vaporized this episode. <laughs> That's another thing that could have happened. Yeah. So it's entirely possible. <laughs> so we will see we will see what happens with that. Anyway. Yeah. Uh I, I would say that uh it's okay. It's not it's not terrible, but like I don't think that we really spent enough time with these characters together to really root for mm-hmm. them, you know? I, I don't you're more in the community than me. Like, I don't know how many people are shipping Bronwyn and Arendir, you know? I, I think deep down we all kind of know that they're probably doomed <laughs> some way or another. If we're, if we're following the mm-hmm. lore, right? Mm-hmm. If we're following this to, like, to this end, yeah, this feels like a bit of a Romeo and Juliet situation, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you understand me. Yeah. All right. The orcs attack. And this is what makes up the bulk of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, orcs lighting up their torches. They're coming from far away. Uh, there's so many of them. It's it's incredible. Uh, 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 kind of like, I thought the way it began was a little bit awkward. Like when basically Bronwyn confronts an orc, and then like the orc like kills a woman, ran- like slits the throat of a woman randomly. I was like, how did that woman get there? Anyway, but after yeah. that, so that was a little odd. But then she kind of lights this wagon on fire and like pushes into the orc and they starts like freaking slamming into these things and igniting them on fire uh it looks incredible so yeah i i love that sequence i was a little uh concerned i'm like how are they actually going to fight him but that whole like trapping them in between the fire fish in a barrel scene i thought that was really smart yeah uh they they clearly home alone their whole village right (laughs) they like set everything up to kind of i mean they did that with the tower as well which was yeah yeah, pretty impressive. By the way, I meant to ask, like, was it weird if that they like destroyed that tower? Was that tower like super important? Um, no, nah. I think they made it up for the TV show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> there is no lore behind the tower. Um, yeah, no, I got nothing. Aaron Deer fights a huge orc, and w- one of my favorite shots from this episode is there is a sequence when Aaron Deer is on a roof, like he he's he's kind of like shooting arrows from the roof. And then his buddy shooting arrows. His buddy gets like taken out by stabbing. And then uh, Aaron Deer gets yanked back and like falls off the roof and like bounces, you know, off the roof. And they do it all in one continuous shot. So it really yeah. does. I, I don't know that they. I think actually, you, you he probably gets up afterwards and you you see it's uh, Ismail Cruz Cordova. Now they could have done yeah, a digital yeah. like Texas switch in there. They could have like switched them out. But uh, the fact that they tried to 
do a lot of this stuff in one long continuous shot i thought was impressive this episode um so yeah, yeah. i really liked that part that was and there's a few moments like that they don't last for like really long takes like the the children of men one shot um that lasts for like six or seven minutes uh but this was really cool some sequences of uh, it almost not almost it reminds me of John Wick in that they are kind of staying on the action rather than making a lot of weird jump cuts to hide the punches. Like, it's very much all there. You see it. I thought it was really well done. Well, there's a scene when he fights this massive orc, and it honestly felt like it was shot to be in one long continuous shot. Like, I, they, they did cut away from it eventually, but it, it like the uh, framing of it is kind of like a medium wide shot, and you kind of are able to see all the action play out in the environment. Uh, he stabs the orc in the eye. You know, I don't know. In general, the show kind of shows us that once you stab a thing in the head, it usually is able to uh, kill it, but not, maybe not the super orc. Uh, the show has also established that much larger orcs don't really deal with pain the same way normal orcs do. Like when Legolas shoots the guy carrying the torch in the two towers, that thing is like seven and a half feet tall. So this thing, I think, is sort of in that same vein of massive orc needs to be dealt more damage to die (laughs) uh fair enough and i think there's actually some really good storytelling taking place here uh where he stabs the orc in the eye there's like black blood bleeding all over his face this scene goes on for a really long time like (laughs) he's and he like you really see the thing go into the eye and then he like pulls it out and then the blood like gets all over his face and mouth and it's like Wow, they're really focusing on this, but turns out there's a storytelling reason for it, uh, which I appreciate. But wow, they really luxuriated in that orc blood, did they not? They did. They did. Um, <laughs> it was a lot. That was that was one of the first moments that, like, you know, the, yeah. the slitting of the throat, the slow sword stab. Sure, okay, but, like, when it's, like, dripping, like, close to his mouth, I'm just like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, gross and, and uh, you know it was a good primer for the horrors that would be to come for the rest of the episode right yeah yeah um because then what what ends up happening is uh you the the fight basically is over once aaron deer defeats the big orc and it's like hey we all did a good job well anyway it, uh, excuse me oh. excuse me bronwyn defeats the big orc and stabs him through the oh neck. that's right i just i apologize credit where credit's yeah, due. no that is so true i apologize i did not mean to uh to uh, abridge her contributions so <laughs> no you're good so uh they start noticing hey wait wait a second this isn't black blood on these uh on these armor outfits and stuff like that and so basically what i think we are led to understand is that adar used the defectors to fight back against the original village people of course they all died but still it's horrifying to know that you helped to kill your buddies uh or you you know that adar turned friend against friend neighbor against neighbor and so on right and that's and that's what happens right that is quintessential tolkien right there's there's something to be said for like the shock and awe of uh turning humans against each other because that is Sauron's you know one of his main tactics indeed indeed so they go inside uh or or actually as they make this realization yes a hail of arrows descends upon the entire village it is brutal dude because you're seeing people just get off the left and right it is brutal and and it's game of thrones level like oh Oh, they're all dead. And Bronwyn, Bronwyn dead. gets shot. Like, and I, I almost thought they were going to kill Bronwyn. Like, I thought Bronwyn was dead. I, I did too. Yeah. I did too. I'm like, okay, that's uh, a choice. I was honestly, I think it could have been a very interesting choice. Oh yeah, it, it, totally. for Theo's character. Yeah. Um, I, I don't necessarily know where they go from here. But. I, I mean, I think that the torture that this show subjects Bronwyn to is astonishing in this episode because. Uh, yeah. She gets shot, I think, twice, maybe once, but like yes, she gets shot once in the leg, I think, and another in the. It like goes uh, through her uh, torso, right? And yeah, then yeah, they go into the, the they go into the tavern, and then there's a really long graphic sequence where yeah, they literally like they show all the steps of treating that arrow. First, they break off part of it, and then they like mm-hmm. takes it out of the wound, and that's all excruciating. Then they cauterize it, and. Bronwyn is in agony the whole time, and they cauterize the fr- front of it and then the back, and it's like, oh, we got to do the other side now. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're showing yeah. this entire thing. 
And then it head fakes you into thinking Bronwyn might have died. And I was going to be like, holy crap. Are they really going to like torture this character for like 10 minutes and then kill them? Because if so, bold move, Lord of the Rings. Rings But they did not do that. They did not do that. She actually survives. I I think that was the I'm as of right now, six episodes in. I think that was the right call. We'll see how this affects her character and Theo and uh, and Arendir going forward. Yeah. Yeah. But. Holy shit, man. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah. And, and, okay. So, okay. I already saw, like, at this point in the episode, done. Okay. I've already seen, like, a uh, dagger or arrow thing get pulled out of a big orc's eye. I've seen Bronwyn get shot with arrows, then basically rendered into excruciating pain during the cauterizing process. But the horrors that the episode has are not even close to over. No. <laughs> No. Because then Adar shows up, right? Yeah. And he yeah. comes in the door and uh he needs the dagger from the, the dagger chunk. Uh yeah, the, the sword that, that grows with smoke and blood when you now earlier Aaron Deer had hid that in a place that theoretically no one saw, right? If I'm uh, Yeah. Uh you there's there's a quick little yeah. uh shot as Arandir is walking away to hide the sword. Um of Theo just sort of glancing mm-hmm. up at him, and I'm like, yeah, the kid knows. Mm-hmm. The kid knows. Mm-hmm. And then Adar's like, okay, I'm just going to start killing people left and right. And so he just starts offing people, and, like, the way he does it, this is what was so upsetting to me, Don, was, like, you see, like, it's this slow. blade gl- go into these people, and they're, like, screaming in agony and, you know, really upset yeah. about it. Yeah, it's gruesome. It's, it's, it's horrifying. It's it's. It, it haunts me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being. Jo- I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. No, I'm no, like. No, no. It's like. Like those images are like seared into my brain because they're so upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then Theo's like, okay, I'm gonna give you the dagger, and Aaron Deer's like, no, you know, because Aaron Deer knows more people are gonna die if you give him the dagger, right? Yeah. Uh, but the whole time I was thinking to myself, Theo, maybe you could have spoken up about three seconds earlier. <laughs> Or sixty seconds earlier. <laughs> it's listen. It's one thing to watch villagers die, but when they've got a sword to your mom's neck and they're like, "Oh, you're next." Okay, three, two. It's it's that final moment. Yes. Of, the, right, meanwhile, gotcha. the person who they stabbed ten seconds earlier, their wife or husband, is like, "Come on, Theo, you couldn't have just opened your mouth a, like sixty seconds earlier." You know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so then they uncover the dagger and. Adar gives the dagger to Waldreg and says, like, I have a task yes. for you, right? Yes. Uh, and that is the point at which Numenor rides in and kicks ass. Now, before we get to any all the stuff that happens after this, curious if you have any thoughts on all this Adar stuff or anything else we, we talked about. Um, really enjoyed the action sequence. Yeah. I thought, uh, while, yeah, it was bloody like we have really not seen before in this show, um, I thought the action sequence was really well produced. Uh, Adar is a, a character unto his own. I, I know a lot of people thought he was originally Sauron. I 100% do not think he is at all. Um, and I kind of like that they are sort of giving him his own agency or sort of character arc. Uh, I thought that was really well done. The Numenorians arrive, riding on horseback, and it looks incredible to see them all like riding across the countryside. It looks—I don't even know how they did it. You know, maybe they did it for real. Maybe there was some CG, but it just—it looks amazing, right? Like uh, this is this is mostly real. Yeah, from from people that I've talked yeah, to, yeah, this yeah. is mostly, real. It, and it's it's spectacular. Like it's it's really just awe-inspiring. Um, so they show up. They basically kick everyone's ass. Uh, there's a bunch of like little action moments. I, I'm happy for you to highlight any that you want to. Uh, I'll uh, just just one. I'll just say everything Galadriel does is like really cool. She's like hanging off the sides of horses and dodging yeah. arrows and doing all this stuff. Like everything Galadriel is doing is really cool. So like I'm I'm enjoying all that stuff. But yeah, what did you what do you want to yeah. highlight from the action scene here? Um, well, obviously, props to Morvith Clark and the uh, stunt writers and everybody that did all of that stuff, because I thought those were really cool moments. I do I do want to highlight, it's, it's really silly, and it's a nitpick that I know doesn't matter, but 
one of uh, Isildur's friends, Volandil, does something really stupid and jumps off a horse to tackle two orcs. And it works in his favor a few seconds later because his friend, who is not on a horse, uh, Ontimo, is in danger. And he wouldn't have been there if he hadn't jumped off the horse. I'm just really questioning, like... There, there were different ways to do that. And again, that's like super, super nitpicky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's one of those things. I'm like, you don't get off the horse. <laughs> you don't you don't get off the horse. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the rule. If there's one takeaway um, you have from yeah. this entire eight episode podcast, you do not get off the horse. Right. Don't get off. Don't the get horse. off the horse. And maybe someone who has like been involved in cavalry war games before will correct me. Yeah. Here. You're, you're inviting. You're inviting, you know, all those uh medieval reenactors to really get go in yeah, on you this I, week on. so please please i welcome it i welcome it um the i will say uh, do you want to talk about the chase sequence or yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk, so so the, a chase sequence ensues adar is heading into the forest uh galadriel goes after him again this is some really cool stuff too like at one point she's riding a horse down a hill which is really yeah. difficult and dangerous to do and uh and halbrand also goes after him Yep. And how Bran takes basically the opposite side and loops around. How he knew where to find them. Whatever. I'm not going to worry Again, that's one of those nitpicks. Yeah. I'm like, mm, it's fine. Um, two things. One, that horse should be dead. That horse should 100% be dead. Again, you mean you mean the horse that uh, Hal Brand kind of throws a stick in front of and then it falls? Yeah. yeah, they tripped yeah. up. That's, that, it's, a, yeah. it's a brutal um, fall that the horse takes, yeah. Yeah. Um, two, uh really awesome detail and yet another homage uh to the peter jackson movies galadriel uh says noro lim n-o-r-o-l-i-m and that is the same two words that uh arwen says in the fellowship of the ring when she is running away from the ring wraith noro lim and it means run swift so nice little uh tip of the hat to peter jackson there all right well they capture Adar. There's like a very brief fight that ensues. And Adar uh, is asked by Halbrand, do you remember me? You know, and Adar says, no, I don't remember you at all. Like, did I kill someone that you love? A woman, a child? Uh, kind of taunting him. And Adar is, uh, and Halbrand's about to finish Adar off, but Galadriel's like, no, we need him alive. So... Oh, no, I need him alive, is what she said. Got it. And that felt very point, like... That felt very intentional by the writers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, then a few, basically, like, the battle is over. The Numenorians come in, they kick everyone's ass and, and subjugate the, uh, the orcs, and, and everything seems to be fine. It's all just wrap-up from this point forward, you know? It's all just, just winding yeah. down from this point forward. The, Great end to the season <laughs> one of Rings of Power. Isildur, Ontimo, and Valandil have a chat uh, about what happens next, and... Uh, I don't remember which one of them is basically like, I've already seen enough of war. Like, oh, this has already been super upsetting to me, but... Uh, that's Antimo. Yeah, Antimo. Antimo, the, the blonde hair. Yeah, he's like, uh, I'm hair. good. And then so, and, and what ends up happening? Like, what's the state of play with these characters at the end of this episode, Don? Uh, so putting, aside the, putting aside the very... Putting aside the big yeah, thing, yeah. yes. Um, so Isildur and um, Volandil are going to work with Galadriel and potentially the Queen Regent to track down the orcs uh, that escaped... Um, and Muriel is just kind of hanging out here, um, doing whatever it is she is doing to sort of present Halbrand, uh, as, as King. There's this really great conversation, uh, between, um, Muriel and Bronwyn about like, Hey, good job. You did it. It's like, I I didn't want to be the leader. And, uh, I thought that was really, that was really nicely done. Yeah. And as far as we know, Halbrand does seem to be the king of the South, you know? Yeah. So yeah. what a what a great way to wrap up this season, you know? Was it a little rush writing? Sure. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, I if I'm wrong, you can make fun of me for the rest of my life, but I feel it in my bones. <laughs> you feel it in your bones that Halbrand is not actually the king of the South. Uh, this will and, this will be a pretty big head fake, I have to say. Like they have Galadriel saying it, they have Numenorians marching because of it, and then they have this kind of emotional scene where it's like, hey, are you the king that was promised? Yes, I am. Big emotional music, right? Like, it, it, it's actually, I would argue that it's actually, if you, if you look back at, like, the Lord of the Rings uh, movies, it'd be unlike those movies to give 
to to do something like that. Would you agree? Like to basically, I, I would agree. Yes, and and that is why I think uh, they are going with that direction. But maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it will be a triumphant moment, and I'll rewatch season one again and just have a completely different uh, headspace. But I, uh, he's there's some there's something about him, man. There's just something about him. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The other major thing that happens this episode is that there's a big confrontation between Galadriel and Adar. And... Uh, this is, I thought, was pretty interesting because Adar is, is an ex-elf or a, an elf turned evil, and obviously Galadriel is thinks of herself as the opposite of that, right? Mm-hmm. But Adar kind of implies, actually, maybe you're close. You and I are not so different, perhaps, right? <laughs> uh, so a lot of uh, interesting details in this conversation. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, there's a term called Urukai. Right. Yes. Uh, what does Urukai mean, Don Marshall? So Urukai is basically the um, the crossbreed that um, Saruman was creating in uh, in Isengard. Uh, there are there are other Uruks um, that, just called Uruks that Saruman uses. They're referred to as the Uruks of Mordor. Uh, so this is uh, sort of like, I think this might confuse a few people, but Urukai is Saruman. Uruk is Sauron. Uh, gotcha. And But Urukai are kind of like super-powered orcs. Is that a fair way to think about them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the Urukai are a, a crossbreed between humans and orcs, and Saruman basically creates them. They don't pop out of holes in the ground. That's a Peter Jackson <laughs> thing that I have major issues with, but that's not important right yeah. now. Um, they can go out. Urukai can go out in sunlight, and they travel really fast, and they don't get as tired, and they're super big and muscly and... Um, yeah, the the orcs, Sauron's orcs are more like um, I don't want to say rats, but they can be more associated with uh, uh, rats, and they're scrawnier and maybe not as as um, tough. Mm-hmm. In this scene, we we learn who Adar is, and can you help us understand who Adar is? Yes. Yeah. So this is kind of what I had mentioned before, in that Adar is. Seemingly, according to him, one of the first elves in Middle-earth to be captured by Sauron's master and pumped full of that dark magic and corrupted. Now, he doesn't look like the orcs we see in the Second Age, so I'm led to believe that this was sort of a gradual process of Sauron's master Morgoth basically continually corrupting uh, elves and creating this, uh, this army over many, many years. Yeah, uh, they. She refers to Moriandor. Uh, now, Moriandor is like the the type of creature that Adar is. Correct? If I understood that correctly, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna be honest. Um, having only watched this episode <laughs> like twelve hours ago, yeah. that part did escape me. Um, but it, I believe it translates into um, Sons of the Dark yeah. uh, because Mordor 
translates into is it the 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 land of the dark or the the dark land or the black land or shadow land land of shadow something like that so there's there's some um entomology or, or the naming conventions i think that they are they are utilizing to sort of give them uh a, a title of their own yeah any other thoughts or details from this confrontation that you want to mention don yeah yeah so two things that i think uh really caught my eye i thought this was a remarkably well-written scene um definitely sort of the the contrast of uh good versus evil um adar basically giving this speech saying you know sauron brought uh order to these ruined and chaotic lands uh i sacrificed a, a bunch of my my children to uh to sauron for his needs um and then he eventually says i killed sauron and of course you know we've seen the peter jackson movies so is Galadriel. I don't believe you. All of that stuff. Um, well, so I I, to- I had thought that so so in the Lord of the Rings movie, Sauron initially has humanoid form. Is that correct? Am I remembering that correct? Yes. So he initially has yes. humanoid form, and then he kind of then becomes an all-seeing eye. Like the yeah. the eye thing is actually a movie only thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the the physical eye we don't actually see Sauron in physical form in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He is referred to as you know the great eye of Sauron, and some people believe that is like a metaphor. Like he is, has many right. spies everywhere. Um, and I think Peter Jackson kind of took that a little bit more literally. Yeah. Um, I remember him yeah, really struggling with like, how do I depict this? You know, it's so metaphorical, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so we never saw him in humanoid form at all in in Lord. We were. I thought. I thought. I thought we saw him. like a flashback of him with like. We, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, we That's do see him yeah. uh, in in the the prologue, yeah, the prologue of the Rings of Power episode, or yeah, Lord yeah. of the or Fellowship the, of the Ring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. So that form was uh, was destroyed. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking when Adar said his speech. Not that he was lying, but that maybe he had destroyed an earlier form of Sauron. But, ah, okay, that that's entirely possible. Yeah. They might go that yeah. route. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, so, so that to, he, yeah, he he says he killed Sauron. We know Sauron lives later, so somehow Sauron comes back, but we're not sure yet. Yes. Yep. How? All right. Two quick details. Uh, Adar makes reference to something called the unseen world in this sort of speech that he is giving. Um, and so the unseen world is something that is well within Tolkien's lore. It's basically think of it like the place where when Frodo puts on the ring and he sees the ring wraiths in the fellowship of the ring as their true form, these sort of like ghostly crowned, uh, kings. And then they, you know, stab Frodo. The wraiths exist in sort of a world between, the, the the real world and the unseen world uh so creatures like gandalf and sauron and saruman uh they can if they would wanted to travel in this sort of unseen world potentially unseen um and it's not necessarily like oh the unseen world is evil it's just a place that exists almost separate uh from the the physical world it's almost like a spirit world if you will. Mm, interesting okay and uh, what's the other detail you want to point out the other detail was a nice little nod to uh, uh, the the idea of Tolkien basically saying when Galadriel says your kind was a mistake made in mockery. That holds very true to Tolkien. A lot of what Morgoth did in the first age was he saw the physical world around him and he said, all right, I can't create life the way that that Eru, the god of Tolkien's universe, created life. So I'm going to twist it. Uh, to make to make it my own so Morgoth and Sauron they can't create life but what they can do is they can twist it so like trolls are the counterparts to Ents and orcs are the counterparts to elves and they're the the way that Galadriel phrased that your kind was a mistake made in mockery just sort of homing in on the idea that like Sauron and Morgoth and the evil of the world can't create they can only twist and corrupt interesting my favorite moment from this whole scene is is kind of what I alluded to earlier, uh, where Galadriel kind of gives this big monologue about how you're, I'm going to keep you alive so you can watch everyone you know die. And, uh, yeah. you know, Adar points out, hmm, like, um, not really sure you're the shining beacon of goodness that you purport to be. Um, yeah. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. <laughs> hate leads to suffering, you know, is what Adar has pointed out there. Yoda shows up in season two. Yeah. Um, uh, but 
Anyway, there's a scene between Galadriel and Halbrand where they basically thank each other for... Uh, <laughs> they, basically, they basically both stopped each other from killing Adar. <laughs> so, yep, yep. So they're like, like hey, thanks. thanks. Yeah, and then yeah, there's thanks. a moment when it seemed like they're, they're playing into like this romance between them, which I was just like... I don't I, think so, show. No. No. I mean, no. We, we know, obviously, who Galadriel ends up with because we see it in, in Fellowship of the Ring. Um, but I, I've seen multiple responses to this in the 12 hours since <laughs> I've watched it. Some people think that it's it's not meant to be romantic and they're just like, you know, there's a camaraderie there. Others think that it was leaning into a little bit more of the romance side. Um I personally felt a little bit of that tension, um, but not terribly much. And, you know... It, I'm fine with it if they want to sort of lean into it just slightly. I thought they they towed the line there. Here's me. what I wrote in my notes: I'm willing to accept a Bronwyn Arendir romance, but a Halbrand Galadriel romance? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? That's literally what I typed out when I when I was watching the show. <laughs> um, it it feels like, it, but it, it's not explicit. It's not explicitly romance. He's just like I really I felt like something between us and i really i really want to hold on to it and it's like uh, okay um hopefully it's just the spirit of camaraderie and battle and not anything more um fingers crossed what else happens in this episode uh Uh, bronwyn and muriel have a scene together where they congratulate each other for uh thank you for rescuing me thank you for leading these people uh hey by the way here's the king here's the the king of the southlands that's just bt dubs new king just dropped um (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> so then, uh, and then there's a Theo and Arendir scene that's actually pretty cool. I like this, where uh, Theo is like, I, I was afraid because, um, because like, I, I felt the loss of the power. And I thought that was like a cool idea. It's obviously very yeah. similar to like losing the ring in Fellowship of the Ring. And, you know, uh, and then, <laughs> boy, the, the full spectrum of emotions I went through this scene when Arendir is like, well, then you get rid of it. Uh, Theo, and he hands him the thing. I'm like, don't trust him to get rid of it. Like he's he's gonna then he's gonna keep keep it. Something stupid's gonna happen. Uh, go ahead. In my brain, Arundir is like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna let this kid try to do the right thing. If he doesn't, though, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna chaperone gonna... him, you know, through the whole. Process, oh yeah, you know? oh yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna watch you the entire oh, yeah, time. Totally, Theo. Totally. Um, it's all for naught though, because it's not a sword; it's a fake out because it's an act. I guess uh, Waldreg like. Uh, you know, put in something there to make sure it looked like that, you know? Yeah, so I always saw it as we we see the scene where Adar says, Waldrig, I have a task yeah. for you. Takes out the sword, hands it to Waldrig, puts another axe in there and just holds onto it as sort of like a decoy. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how we do it. Waldrig has a sword, plunges it into the ground, turns it in this turnstile key thingy, and then a ton of water just comes rushing through the the tunnels that have been built. Um yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was a use for so the So this is the thing you called, Don Marshall, is you're like, I don't think the tunnels are just to travel somewhere. I think there's something else going on there. And I think you yeah. actually did, if I recall correctly, say like it might be what is used for, to create like Mount Doom. But maybe I'm misremembering that. Yeah. I, I initially thought when I saw the tunnel that it was they were like going to try and pour the magma in. Mm-hmm. Sauron was going to show up last minute and like raise the mountaintops. But no, I really mm. like how they did. This. Interesting. Because, yeah, it felt like they didn't necessarily need the tunnel to just have the orcs move through the Southlands. Yeah, like you could have you could have done that just at nighttime. No, I'm really I'm really glad this was a nice payoff. Uh, the orcs start chanting uh, Udun. Which is mm-hmm. the name of the episode. And remind us what that means again, Don? Um, Udun is... Uh... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm totally blanking. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You just Sorry. You delivered it so eloquently earlier. I just wanted I to, did, yeah. I just wanted to so do a callback Udun, <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> Udun um, is, I believe, the, the Elvish... Um, it's part of Mordor, and I'm, I'm also looking it up right now again. Apparently, it is the Sindarin uh, meaning for... Uh, hell or the underworld mm. i i don't know how true that is sorry again my, i'm on like four <laughs> yeah it's hours okay of sleep. it's okay i told you yeah yeah, we, yeah. i'm glad we we you know we warn people in advance this is going to be a little rougher than usual so it's all good yeah. um so every everyone's celebrating the numenorians have come in to save everyone bronwyn's alive aaron deer is alive theo's alive waldreg's alive very important actually um and then uh <laughs> and then all of a sudden like the the mountain in the distance explodes and it seems to heavily indicate 
that that is in fact Mount Doom. And also, uh, probably all the humans in the village are dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it is a shocking moment to see that wave of falling lava and rocks approach Galadriel. And she's just kind of standing there because she knows there's really nothing she can do. Um, uh, yeah. I, I bet you, though, I bet she survives that. Just uh, just a theory. I, I mean, <laughs> considering one of the promotional shots on Prime Video is her standing amongst the ashes of a village, I think that's... I thought that was a flashback. I thought they were just going to pull that out as a flashback. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have not seen what I have mm-hmm. seen. Flashback to a destroyed village. But, like, no, they they gave that... They didn't necessarily give it away, but I... I I'm kind of kicking myself for not seeing it coming. Yeah. But I, I like to be taken on the journey rather than, a, you know, guess. <laughs> guess you, what happened. You would never spout off on any wild theories, Don Marshall. <laughs> Me? Never. So, um, this, is a bold, this, this is a bold move. This is a bold move. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and because I'm also wondering, like, who among the humans is going to survive? Like, I I actually hope that the show does kill off a bunch of these people. Not not because I don't like them or anything, but because th- that would be a really bold decision. And also yeah. Um, yeah. help to drive probably a lot of Galadriel's motivations moving forward, right? Um, yeah, I think we're going to see a very changed uh, Galadriel after, after this. Because despite everything, it still it still didn't. Well, she, and she's like ostensibly responsible for many of these characters' deaths if they do die. You know, like it's possible. It's I. It's possible none of them will die, and we'll start next episode, and everyone like rushed into the cellar of the tavern, and everyone's fine. Uh, I would be very disappointed if that was the case because I don't. I think when you use this visual language, there needs to be mm-hmm. a price that is paid for it from the characters. You can, otherwise, it's I, just I like I think Isildur's for yeah, yeah. Other Isildur's. I think Isildur's friends probably will not make it. <laughs> Um, yeah. I feel like Bronwyn, Theo, and Arendir are all going to live. Um, but other than that, I mean, maybe Muriel, uh, maybe, maybe, may, do you think they kill Halbrand? You think they just kill Halbrand? <laughs> I don't think so. And, and it's one of those I, subverting expectations. I don't think Halbrand will die. I think it's possible Bronwyn, Theo, and Queen Regent are dead. That's that feels like it could be a thing that happens, um, okay. but who knows? Who knows? Uh, basically, the answer to the question of who died is also going to be the answer to the question of what kind of show we're watching or how how big of a swing the show is willing to take, right? Yeah. And if it's willing As to just good it, as this episode, yeah. If it's willing to kill kill yeah. off a bunch of people that we just met or you know, met earlier the season, uh, then that's like okay, like you're you're playing for keeps, like you're not effing around you know in my opinion no no and i I think who i I think as important as this episode was to build up hype i think the consequences going forward in episode seven and eight are going to be just as if not more important i do think that it is stunning that this is episode six and not episodes not episode eight like this felt like a season. It felt like a season finale. And also, by the way, like Don, how incredible would it have been if it was a season finale? Like, imagine if this was the final episode and we're like, that, like that's it. we're going to need to wait for like a year until we find out what happens to these characters. That would have been pretty impressive as well. Like, I would have been... I, I think that would have been really impressive yeah. to, to build up hype. It makes me a little nervous in that if there is not a season-ending sort of payoff or uh, uh, joining together of the plots... Um, then, then it might fall flat for some people. Right, but right. this was you, you, a heck of an episode. Because typically, when all the plots converge, is when you'd have your your, your finale, or at least the penultimate episode, right? But the fact yes. that this is episode six, like I could see it being episode seven, and then you have like a denouement. But like this is episode six. So there's two more episodes left. Now, to be fair, we didn't have any action from Harfoots or Elrond or during this episode, right? So like, right. still a lot of stuff to tie up there. But uh, really bold bold move and uh, this episode is just making bold move after bold move and it's just yeah, like okay like yeah. I, I have to respect it i have to respect it because like oh yeah whatever yeah. issues i've had with the show it's like okay you're you're taking big swings and I'm, I'm still along for the ride i think um also we do see you know who definitely did survive uh mm. the volcano exploding and probably becoming mount doom is uh adar we get a shot of uh, the inside of the stable that yes. he was in and he disappears. 
He's he has escaped from his chains, and that that may actually be a reference to potentially the unseen world. This the, that I mentioned before, the sort of spirit world mm-hmm. that uh, exists. So I'll be very curious to see uh, how they move that forward. But I quite like Adar's character. I'm very looking much looking forward to uh, him continuing to be around for this season, at least. All right. Any other thoughts on this episode, Don? I thought. Bold episode, lots going on. I really appreciate you taking the time out super early. Yeah. Uh, Don's about to make a big trip. That's why we recorded so early. But appreciate you yeah. making this work. It was actually quite a challenge to get this all scheduled and done. And so we hope you as a listener have enjoyed us reacting to uh, what happened in season one, episode six, The Rings of Power. Any other thoughts, Don? And uh, uh, final thoughts, just really enjoyed this episode. Couple of nitpicks. But again, I, I tend to just sort of let those slide. Um, I sort of go by rule of cool. Um, loved this episode. Loved what Ismael Cruz Cordova did with Arundir. Uh Great performances by um, uh, Nazanin Bonadi. Um, uh, I thought Morvith Clark did great as well. Um, loved the payoff for a lot of this stuff. And I think you said it r- really well, David. Um, even if you don't agree with all of the choices, you gotta like respect the fact that they're making bold yeah, moves. They're like, making bold moves. You cannot agree with the direction they're going. That's totally fair. Yeah. I have criticisms of the show myself, but like the choices they made in this episode were uh gonna lay the foundation for potentially the next five seasons. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and watch us on TikTok and YouTube at decodingtv. Don Marshall, hit us with where people can find more of your work on the internet this week. I am Don Marshall72. You can find me uh, at TikTok, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Patreon. All of it is just Don Marshall72. Uh, everything's in my, my link tree, just linktree.com slash Don Marshall72, where you can find all of the stuff that I do, including this podcast. Alrighty, folks, next week, going to be an interesting one, I think. I'm really, really curious to find out. Wouldn't that be so cool if they didn't even tell us who died in this week? It was just, it was an yeah. all Durin Elrond episode, and that's it. That would be that would be a total baller move, but I don't think they're going to do that. That we'll would see. be a bold move. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we'll see some of, the, some of the consequences, at least. All right, we'll be back next week with another recap of Season 1 of The Rings of Power. Don Marshall, thank you so much. Uh, we will see you later. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.